Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. All right. No Karens or Chads. I like it. Yeah, very good. All right. So uh, I got asked to preach an awesome passage. Uh, this happened a couple months ago. Pastor Lee was looking at the sermon calendar and he thought it would be a great idea to get the youth guy to teach the zombie passage. As a matter of fact, that was the very first response. He said, will you preach 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49? And I said, sweet, the zombie passage. It was a thing that happened. So when I was preparing for this, um, I did what every good pastor does, and I went to Google. To Google what happens when you die, right? If you've never done it, it's interesting. Uh, I will tell you right now that Google curates for you a list of ads, um, things that it recommends you to buy. Uh, Facebook does this. It's just, it's a part of life as we know it right now. Um, so really, really awesome when you start Googling stuff about what happens when you die and the resurrection of the body and uh, the spiritualism of animals, right? Because it's in the, past, in the passage. It really thinks that you need a shirt like this. And there are no words. So I asked Pastor Lee, would it be okay if I preached in this shirt? He said no. So I decided to put it on the screen instead. As a culture, we are completely obsessed with death. Am I right? We talk about it all the time. It is a concept that is brought up from the deepest of philosophers. If you think all the way back, I know that there are some deep scholars in the room, but uh, Plato had this 19-proof argument for the uh, eternity of man, right? He said that there was something more that meets the eye. But not only the philosophers, but also the poets. I'm thinking back, um, a ways back, there was a movie that came out in my childhood called The Dead Poet Society, and there was a, a, a verse in that where Robin Williams, talking to a group of young boys, uh, starts quoting this old, old, old poem, and it goes something like this, gather your rosebuds while you may, time is still flying. Anybody know this? I'm just the nerd that likes poetry, right? But the same flower that blooms today, tomorrow will be dying. Right? It's a, great, it's a great verse. It gets us all thinking that death is imminent. Every single one of us is going to experience it. Some of us have already had uh, experiences where we have uh, lost people that were incredibly close to us. It is something that we think about on a regular basis. It is something that the media pushes on us because not only do you have poets 
which I lost half the room when I talked about poetry. And not only do we have philosophers, which I lost the other half of the room when I talked about Plato, you also have Disney movies. Can I get an amen? Everybody watches, okay, all right. So in Disney, you have all of these different characters, um, all these different movies, all of these different storylines, and often the recurring theme is what happens when you die. What happens when you die? Now, I grew up on the Lion King. And so the gospel, according to Mufasa, is when you die, you go into the clouds and you get to talk to your son later, right? The gospel, according to Plato, is there's more than meets the eye and there's an eternity, but he kind of missed the point. The gospel according to the poets is live your life now because you're going to die. The gospel according to Guns N' Roses is if you are a gunfighter, you will be knocking on heaven's door. We talk about death all the time. It's in rock anthems. It's in classic symphonies. It's in Disney movies. It's in horror movies. I bet y'all didn't know that. One of the movies that I watched, uh, it was actually for a, a college class. Uh, it's not very popular. You might not have heard of it, but it was called The Sixth Sense. Um, and it was one that, that came out, and everybody was talking about it because it was one of those movies that had a big spoiler in it. You're not supposed to talk about movies that have some sort of a plot shift that happens, right? Well, spoiler alert, that movie's been out for a long time. He was dead the whole time. The whole time. Like, all of it, he was dead. So when we're looking at this, there are so many different things that we can see in our life on a regular, routine basis that bring death to our forefront, and not only that, but if you Google, it doesn't take you very long to know that there are a lot of different ideas and concepts and philosophies of what happens after you die. You will get everything from its part of the circle of life, back to the Lion King, all the way to reincarnation. But you see, the culture when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth was also obsessed with death. So much so that he devoted an entire chapter talking about the resurrection. And in this section, he's talking to a group of people that have kind of sarcastically said, resurrection, right. You know anybody like that? Probably, maybe? Okay, well, here's the thing. When we're looking at this concept of death and my research this week, and I'm telling you, like, my, my Google feed, like search that thing. That thing's got some stuff, right? But when we're looking at our, our Google feed, I happen to find a company. Now get this, for $200,000, which is chump change for all of us, right? You can cryo-freeze your dead body so that when man and science catches up to a certain point, they will be able to resurrect your body and you will be able to have life anew. Now, I know what those of you that are well-cultured are thinking, that is the beginning of every sci-fi horror movie you've ever heard of. <laughs> I saw that and I was terrified that somewhere there is a warehouse full of frozen dead bodies that are wanting to come back to life? 
But when you get to the, uh, to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, he starts by saying this, someone will ask, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Well, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of dust, and as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven, just as we have, been, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man from heaven. Pray with me, and we'll talk about this a little bit. Father God, we thank you that you are no longer dead. We thank you that you defeated the grave. We thank you that you offer salvation to the world of fallen people. God, we pray as we uh, talk about your word, as we uh, dive into what it, what it looks like after we die, when we look at the resurrection and what will come, God, we pray that that, that would be a, a way that we could truly worship you, that we could understand better uh, who you are and how you operate. Father God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I think that this passage is kind of broken into two different sections, right? And for those of you that are literary nerds, uh, they're called paragraphs, okay? Um, so in this passage, you've got two different paragraphs with kind of two different things going on. And in the first one, Paul is kind of trying to answer the question uh, that was asked, which is in verse 35, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? And Paul's response to that is, well, that's not a very smart question, right? He says, you fools, right? That makes us think that the question was being asked in ignorance. They were trying to debunk or disprove the resurrection of the dead. Up to this point, you've already seen that Christ has been resurrected. Up to this point, you've already seen that he's given salvation uh, to those that would call on his name. But here, we're talking about ourselves. We're talking about the church. We're talking about the people that have, uh, that have already come to faith in Christ, right? 
So when you get to that point, I think that he points out three big things in that first section of this passage. There's three of them, right? The first one is this. Life can emerge from death. Now, I grew up in West Texas uh, in a town that was completely surrounded by cotton fields. I, I kid you not, if you ever go to Big Spring, Texas, completely surrounded by cotton fields with the small exception of the little oil refinery that's just south of town, right? So you've got uh, cotton fields all around it, and I'm going to say this, when they go and plant those cotton seeds, there is a big, big, big celebration, and we all go inside because the dust rises for days, right? Anybody ever been to West Texas? It happens. Dust everywhere. So nobody, from my experience, millions and millions and millions of seeds dumped into the ground and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of rows of cotton, and I've never once heard somebody mourn over the death of a seed. Not one time. You, as a matter of fact, if you're driving through West Texas, and if you're driving through especially with somebody that's from West Texas, when you're driving in the country and you're seeing the fields of white all around you, you say, man, this is a good harvest this year. This is really going to help our community. I'm so glad that this is going on because cotton there is king. It provides for everything, right? The seed, not, not so much, right? So the next thing is this, the, uh, when you get to that point where in 1 Corinthians 15.36 says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, kind of comes from another quote that Jesus said all the way back in John chapter 12, which says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, according to the Bible, and also science, life comes from death. It does. In the, in the horticultural, in the plant system, when things go into the ground, they die, and something new comes up. Now, obviously, Paul is doing something here. He's painting a picture for us, and that's what that second paragraph is for. So we're going to get to that in just a second. The second thing that I think is important takeaway for this first paragraph of Scripture that we read is something greater can emerge from something lesser. Now, going back to that seed analogy that Paul is giving us, uh, here in the great city of Alvin, we have a few oak trees. Am I right? When I first got here, there was a year, it was something else. There was an acorn droppage. <laughs> I don't even know how else to say it. It was, I mean, when I grew up in the north, we shoveled snow. I was shoveling acorns, right? Like, I'm not kidding. The acorns were absolutely everywhere. And you pick up an acorn and you think, man, this is an oak tree? Like, all over my yard, I've got these big oak trees that are 10s, 20s, 30 years old, more, 50, 60, 100. You have people in the, in the community that freak out when somebody buys property and tears down an old oak tree to build something, right? Right. 
But we don't think much of the acorn, do we? You kind of sweep them off, pick them up, throw them away in a bag so that nothing comes out of the ground right there, right? In our backyard, we have a rose bush. Now, I personally uh, am not somebody that's really good with plants, right? I'm good at killing them. But I will say that my wife has become quite good at plants, right? And so we've got all of these different rose bushes that every year have incredible produce, incredible flowers, incredible smell that comes from these. But have you ever seen a rose seed? It's brown. It looks like something that came out of like the 80s, like brown, right? So if you go into the backyard and you see this brown thing sitting on the deck, you sweep it off. It's not anything. But when that small acorn, when that small rose seed turns into something different, it's incredible. We would be terrified if you plant an acorn and a giant acorn grew. <laughs> we would be underwhelmed if you planted a brown rose seed and a giant brown rose seed grew. I think that's kind of what Paul is getting when we're looking at the point. Something greater can emerge from the lesser. And the last one is this. When we get to the concept of, of the resurrection, he says, hey, I want you to consider creation. Think about it for a second. The God of the universe that was able to create every ecosystem and every habitat that is known to man, he created uh, human beings for the land, he created fish to thrive in water, he created birds for the air, and when you're looking at all of that, you say, okay, the God that had enough of a plan to design how things work might be able to have a plan for me even after I die. So he's saying right here that we need to consider creation. Trust the creator that is the God that designs, the God that creates, the God that organizes all of these different ecosystems. And he says, hey, even in death, even in death, trust the creator. He talks about the heavenly bodies as well, that they have uh, an incredible glory. Right? He says that uh, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from glory to glory. If you start looking stuff up about those verses, you're going to end up with taco cat shirt, right? It's a thing. But what I will say is this, what I think that he's saying, what I think that he's saying is there is an incredible glory and incredible worth to creation. It was designed for a specific purpose, right? The sun is an incredible source of light. It's an incredible source of heat. And the world as we know it would not be able to exist without it. If you hollowed it out, you could fit tons of planet Earths inside of it. It's huge completely designed by God, get this, for your sake. The God who is able to put something that massive in the heavens is the same God that says, hey, when it comes to what happens when you die, trust me. Trust me. 
So my question to you, do you trust man or do you trust the creator? Would you pay? And you don't have to raise your hand on this because we don't want to know if you have this kind of money. But <laughs> would you pay 200000 so that man someday might eventually, maybe, when science catches up, be able to make you like one of the Terminators or something? Or do you put your faith in Christ, the one that gives life even after death? Now, there's more to it than that. Thank goodness. You see, when we're talking about hope beyond the grave, it's more than just trust and it's more than just a vague statement. He goes on in detail to talk about what happens when we die, what we're giving up, and what we're getting in response. And I couldn't help but think it. We have all uh, in our staff been through this training that's called three circles, right? It's this uh, three circles that are, that's a, a simple gospel presentation. And the way that it works is you start with God's design. And in God's design, you have really the Garden of Eden. You have earth as it was intended to be. You don't have sickness. You don't have brokenness. You don't have hurt. You don't have uh, death. But sin enters into the picture, and we have the world as we know it, which I would say is an incredibly fallen and broken world. And in this broken world, there are all of these different avenues that we try to fix it, right? We try to run to the education system. We do. We try to make more money. We try to lean on our congressmen. We go to a doctor. But guys, education can't fix it. In my experience, more money oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes leads to corruption. Medicine, guys, it's so temporary. Because death comes for all of us. Let's talk about the beauty industry for a minute. No, we don't have to go there. All of these things, when we're looking at a fallen world, we know that we're not immortal. And we can read all the Plato that we want. It just doesn't always feel like it passes the smell test because there's brokenness everywhere. I don't care how many Flintstone vitamins you took in the 80s and the 90s. You're still going to die. Now, that's a heavy place to take a breath, isn't it? Every single one of us, we think about it on a regular basis, but here we're given this, this picture that's a little bit different. You see, we don't have to dwell in our brokenness. God gave us a way out. If you think of what we're looking at, this 
three circles picture of what the gospel looks like. God's design that was thwarted by my sin and also yours. And we are in a state of brokenness where we're constantly trying to get out of it by our own means in our own way. And Christ is looking at the church and saying, hey, I provided a way out to bring us back to the design that we were created to be in all along. We all participate in the badness and the brokenness of the world. But God is the only way out of the brokenness. Paul is writing right here. He says we're going to trade our imperishable, we will trade our perishable flesh for the imperishable. Imperishable triumphs over the perishable. That means there will be no more decay. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. Glory triumphs over dishonor. Every single one of us, according to the same guy that's writing this, the Apostle Paul says that every single one of us is sinners. We're all living in the state of brokenness. We're all contributing to it. We do much better at contributing to the brokenness than finding the solution because the solution can't be found by yourself. He says that power triumphs over weakness. These are all right here in the text in, verse, in chapter 15. And the spiritual triumphs over the natural. I'm going to read those for us. If I can find it. So it is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That would be you. What is raised is imperishable. Sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Sown in weakness is raised in power. Sown in a natural body is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body also. That's verses 42 through 44. When we're looking at this, there is this picture of the way that life is supposed to be, the way that it's going to be at the point that you die. So let me ask you a question. Even as you've experienced death, even as you've experienced loss, I have too. We've lost people that we were incredibly close to and it's a difficult day and it's a hard day and it's overwhelming and we can't even begin to talk about the emotions. But let me say this. If that individual was a child of God, they were a seed. And get this, something greater has come. Something greater has come. Those individuals are no longer perishable, dishonored, weakness, or natural. You see, this passage goes on and says that there is a war that's waging between Adam and Christ. Every single one of us bears an image. 
when we're uh, born, as we choose to participate in the brokenness of the world, as we choose to participate in sin, as we choose a life of, of brokenness separated from God, I believe that's a choice that every single one of us has made. And when we choose that path, we're choosing to bear the image of Adam, which 1 Corinthians calls the man from the dust. But Christ comes in pays the price that you couldn't pay because you were already fallen. The penalty for your sin, for that brokenness, was death. When there was high treason, there was a death sentence that was required. And it was your death sentence that was required. And Christ comes in and says, not this one. They're mine. Christ comes in and brings people to Himself in salvation. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. You see, when God calls us into His family, when God brings us into His fold, when we become heirs like Christ, part of the family trait is resurrection. It might not look exactly the way that you expected. We might not have a full ability to comprehend exactly what the eternal state with Christ is going to look like. But man, when we read this, we can get a glimpse. I can't imagine life without sickness. My dad is a cancer survivor. He had cancer when I was 16 years old. I can't imagine families not having to go through the pain that we went through. My mom, my entire life, she's a diabetic. She gave shots for the majority of my life. Now she has uh, a, a pump that helps keep her alive. And I picture someday when my mom is in heaven getting to eat some giant piece of full sugar chocolate cake. We won't have the same struggles anymore. God is doing a work at bringing us into a different place. The only obstacle that you have is whose image are you bearing? The only hope beyond the grave, which is our series, hope beyond the grave, the only hope that we have is the hope that comes from Jesus. Do you know him? This is an incredibly great sermon to get to preach because we're talking about life change. No more pain. No more struggles. No more weakness. It sounds too good to be true. That's the way God designed it to be. A life without sin. A life without temptation. Do you know Him? Just if we... Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
Do you have a relationship with a God like that? The same guy that wrote this in the book of Romans uh, calls himself a wretched man. It's one of my favorite passages. The youth get tired of hearing it. I say it all the time. But Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But he doesn't stop right there. He says, thanks be to Christ my Lord. Who's able to overcome the sorrow, the depression, the anxiety? Christ is. Who's able to overcome the disease? Christ is. Who's able to fill the brokenness and fix it and restore it and redeem it? Christ is. And the Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? From death, y'all. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a couple of songs. And as these songs are, 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 are being sung, I want you to be thinking about, uh, do you have a relationship with Christ? If you don't, today's the day. I want you to be thinking, the song that they're going to sing first is called Christ Be Magnified. Do you believe it? That the God that, that, that grows and restores and replenishes, the God that, tra that trades the perishable for the imperishable, the dishonored for the glory, is available today. Do you know Him? And the second song we're going to sing is called Center My Life. Everybody in the room has stuff that we can take away from this lesson today. Everybody in the room has an impact that needs to happen in their life. I am somebody that believes that we should constantly be reforming our views into the image that God wants us to be as laid out in His Word. As believers... It's our desire to dwell on the Word of God. That the God of the Bible would dwell richly in us. When we talk about Christ being magnified, when we talk about centering our life on Christ, that doesn't have to be something that starts down the road. It can start today. And again... If you don't have a relationship with God, let today be the day. I'm going to pray with us and we'll sing. Father God, you are a good God that loves us unconditionally. John chapter 1, you say that you give us grace upon grace. God, we thank you that, that we don't have a limited supply of grace, but you give a constant amount to the believers in this room. God, I pray that you would set our eyes and our hearts on eternity, that you would give us an urgency to see the lost around us in the world, to be beggars constantly pointing people to the source of life. And to those in this room that don't have a relationship with you, God, 
We cannot do the work of salvation in their life. We cannot resurrect. But God, you can resurrect us. I can't save myself, but you save me. God, I pray that you would do the work of salvation in people's lives in this room today if they don't have a relationship with you. That they would be willing to come down front and pray with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.